Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Pickett. This is Eugene Greenwich. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Dale McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. This is Cal Brooks. This is Marcus Burris. This is Sean Redditch. This is Tony Spackleton. This is Andrew Blahoff. This is Graham Corn. This is Brian Curl. This is Jason Ackermanis. This is Chris McDermott. This is Mike Ellis. This is Kevin Lich. This is Matt Smith. This is Michael Wilson. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and episode number 25 here tonight. Halfway to 50 and a quarter of the way to the century. Well, it's a long time till we get to that 100, but we are slowly getting there. And I want to say again, a very big thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen to the podcast and and listen to my interviews. I just want to deliver a really good podcast that everyone enjoys listening to. The more people who know about it will increase my audience base, which therefore allows me to get more high-profile sports people on the show. But look, you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from the guests. So tonight, my special guest is former Port Adelaide legend and 2004 Premiership player, Michael Wilson. Now, Wilbur, a Port Adelaide man through and through. Every club needs someone like Michael Wilson, someone who bleeds for the club. They respect the culture. They respect the heritage and... When they put the jumper on, it really means something to them to play for that club. And he just epitomizes what it means to be a Port Adelaide person. He was a part of the original squad in 1997, that first ever Port Adelaide power squad in the AFL after winning two premierships in the SANFL with the Magpies. He had an incredible first year in the AFL in 1997, taking out the AFL Rising Star Award. He would continue his form for some years after that, playing at least 20 games in his first four seasons in the AFL before injuries took their toll, coincided with when Port Adelaide were really rising up the ranks and becoming a very consistent top four team. 2001 to 2004, Port Adelaide were absolutely one of the best teams in the competition. In 2004, which probably was their final chance to win a premiership, they were able to get there and they got to the grand final and proved that the doubt is wrong and they beat the Brisbane Lions, stopped the 4P and won that premiership. 
And Michael Wilson, despite the injuries in the in the previous years, he was a part of that 2004 Premiership squad. And we talk about his memories from that day playing on the big stage against one of the great AFL teams of all time in the Brisbane Lions and beating them quite convincingly. So we discussed some of the reasons why they weren't able to get it done in the three years prior and then what made it work in 2004 under Choco Williams. We also discussed his injuries and and the emotional and mental toll it takes when you want to perform at your absolute best but you're unable to when you're sitting on the sidelines watching your team play. We talk about the 2007 grand final, which Michael Wilson didn't actually play in. He snapped his Achilles in the preliminary final the week before, so he didn't play in the 07 grand final loss. But he does talk about his memories from that day, watching what was the darkest day in Port Adelaide history, losing by 119 points, and sort of the domino effect that had, and and what basically the start of what was the darkest period in the Port Adelaide Football Club history, the, the next four to five years after that game, were, were really quite miserable times for Port Adelaide. And it, he does talk about that, as well as his decision to eventually retire in 2008. From 1997 to 2008, he played 192 games for the Port Adelaide Football Club, 51 goals. He played in 10 finals, one grand final. He is an AFL Premiership player in 2004, and he was also the AFL Rising Star in 1997. From the Port Adelaide Football Club, it's Michael Wilson. That's coming to the ground. Wilson kicks hard and kicks crawling. Sanders to Wilson, 55 metres out. Square is vacant. Doesn't bother Barry Square. Long goal for Wilson and Port to start. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and today we've got one of the legends of the Port Adelaide Football Club and 2004 Premiership player, Michael Wilson, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Not a problem, mate. Nice to uh, have a chat. So it's been 13 years now since your final AFL game. It's crazy to uh, to think it's been that long. What have you been up to now post-football and, and how did you sort of transition out of the football game? Yeah, I um, look, I'm a qualified physio, so that's kept me relatively uh, busy over the last sort of 10 to, 10 to 12 years. And um, uh, I think... Uh, most people find that transition out of um, football quite difficult. Like it's um, that year or two, getting your head around not being a footballer, you know, like that sort of is your life for such a big portion of it. And um, and not having that identity of being a, an AFL footy player is a little bit a little bit tough to, to get through. But I was, you know, lucky enough that I was studying to be a physio all the way, well, not all the way through for the last sort of five or six years of my footy career. And um, after taking uh, 12 months off to, um, well, I should say, two years off to study and then travel around Australia with the family, I, um, you know, I ended up back at the, um, the football club part time as a physio, and then, you know, in the end, I was nearly 10 years there as a as a physio and managing that sort of AFL, SANFL, Next Gen Academy, all that sort of stuff. So um, that was pretty pretty good fun, and just in the last year, I've. Uh, moved on from there and just running my own business as a physio, which has been um, challenging, but uh, uh, given the COVID situation, but it's been good regardless. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. Congratulations on all you've done. I guess what is it like to now be a business owner under these uh, coronavirus uh, circumstances? That must be very, very tough. Yeah, look, I do my own thing, I guess. Uh, I've 
lucky enough that um, uh, you know after having a, a year off and sort of working out how I wanted to tackle things, I um, I've had lots of different opportunities and lots of different discussions, and you know every week something new comes along, and you know um, and it's been been good from that perspective, and um, uh, I, I think the only downside I, I guess in trying to start, start something up at this time is that. You know, you, you know, when there's a lockdown, uh, it shuts off a large proportion of your income. So it's not like you have a regular job where you've got your holidays and your sick pay and all that that you can rely on. And um, you know, it, but uh, I, I do have the, you know, I'm in a good position in that. Uh, you know, I've worked pretty consistently for 25 years, and and um, and I'm, you know, financially okay if that falls over for a bit and uh, things seem to wind up and pick up again pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, challenging, but I, I think I've found it harder trying to get your head around having, organising everything that has to be done, you know, in your own business rather than the, the lockdown side of things. In fact, I think I find the lockdown a good chance to stop and breathe and go, oh, Jesus, what have I missed out on now? What have I forgotten? So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm getting through okay. And do you find that, because obviously you're still involved within the sporting industry, do you think when you've been a professional athlete for so long, it's hard to give the game away altogether? Um, I think there's probably, I mean, there's, there's lots of black, white and shades of grey with it, how people manage their post-footy career and there is that group that just step out of it and um, they don't want to have anything really to do with the AFL. They move into other industries. They utilise their contacts to sort of push along. But, you know, they, they do step in and out a little bit. But they, they essentially, they're, they're, they make a clean break. There's guys that move straight into coaching and, um, you know, or they go SAFL, play a footy or coach or, you know, they're really involved and that's their life. And they love it and they want to, they want to keep in in it as well and um so there's you know it's so everyone's a little bit different um i think i i did uh sort of enjoyed a, a year of just complete nothing like no contact with football um but when i went back into what i was going to do for, for for my work perspective it was it came really easy and you know you know the workings of how things um operate in the football club so it was it was quite an easy, comfortable transition back into it. Um, but uh, after, I guess, 16 years as a, you know, from, you know, as a 17-year-old going into the SANFL and then coming out as nearly 32-year-old in the AFL and then another you know, 10 years as a physio, um, I think it was once, once I'd sort of stepped away from it, I, I found, you know, you, you feel a bit, not burnt out, I suppose, you feel a bit worn out with it and it's only it's taken nearly 18 months for me to sort of actually go back and sit and watch football and enjoy watching football again I've just had had to have that real clean break and just feel a bit exhausted from it all I think um, but uh, you know everyone's a little bit different on how they manage it and um, and they you know they, they try and you know, in, enjoy their work life after football and it, footy does give you a lot so um, and it does provide a lot of a lot of opportunities so I think a lot of people just once they step out of footy, they ride the wave that they've got um, and um, take it as far as they can. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting insight. Of course, you are born and bred in Adelaide, taking you back to the start. Could you maybe give the listeners a bit of an insight into sort of your early days, family life, where you grew up, and of course uh, where your love of football started? Yeah, I was um, 
yeah, correct. I'm um, Adelaide, uh, Adelaide kid. I um, born at the Semaphore Hospital, grew up in North Haven, went to Taparoo High. Um, family follow is growing up down in Port Adelaide through the um, you know 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, you'd be mad not to follow Port Adelaide and my parents and my family and extended family all followed Port Adelaide and, and so it was always um, I was one of those kids that would put on the Port District footy club or Port Press when my dad was playing there or even Albert and United you know like some of those old classic sort of clubs that have merged and moved on um, and uh, you know I was, I've always you know I didn't move out of Port, the Port Adelaide area until I was about 20 Um and so I was, you know, a little six-year-old playing in the inter zone for Port Adelaide. You know, I've got some pictures of, you know, J- Jared Poulton and Trent Orman Allen, kids that I played primary school footy with, and we went, you know, did sort of Sapsaza and all the representative sides. You know, um, as we grew up, we just um, followed. Had a lot of success as a, as a young kid playing at Port Districts. A number of, you know, three or four premierships in the 13s and 15s and things like that. And but uh, I was. I was lucky enough that um, the transition for me as a junior, going through high school and finishing year 12 at St. Michael's, not not knowing quite what I wanted to do, I just enrolled in a uni course and um, it just aligned nicely where I was part of that uh, cohort of, you know, inaugural AFL, Port Adelaide AFL players that, you know, I wasn't sure what to do. I had... Um, different AFL clubs asking if I'd put in the draft and then Port Adelaide got their licence and I was lucky enough to be one of those guys that was sort of paid to stay out of the AFL and roll into the the, the, um, the first power squad in 97, which sort of tied in well with, you know, I played in a couple of sample um, premierships and I managed to finish my uni degree in 96 and rolled into... Um, the AFL in 97 and didn't have to move out of home and had a, a quite a nice squeaky clean easy transition from being a kid into uni into professional sport um, so I was pretty lucky from that perspective so. yeah so you're pretty much well as you said from day one you're a Port Adelaide man through and through and, and you came through the ranks in, and you did play in the SANFL for the Magpies before we get on to the AFL times I just want to ask you can you explain what it means to be part of the football club? Because there is no doubt Port Adelaide are the most successful SANFL club and their culture has always been so strong. The history is so well preserved and it, and it just seems from an outsider looking in that whoever puts on that jumper, they, they understand the honour and, and those who have come before to pave the way for them. Can you explain someone who is Port Royalty what it means to be a Port Adelaide person and, and what makes the club so strong? I think it's that sort of blue-collar working-class history of um, not having everything that other people might have, but once you um, step out on the um, footy field, that it's you against them, and then um, how much harder will you work and how much more of that team bonding, what will you go through to, to win the game, and then... That's probably a little bit of the grassroots side of things, you know, like uh, there was a lot of, as I was growing up, like looking at people rocking up in expensive cars from expensive areas and having all the bells and whistles to support their footy and we just have to get in and get the job done and do, you know, put, put up with whatever you've got and um, that was, that was, I guess, some of the, the early side of things, but 
if you um, you then walk into a place where you have the Ops and the um, Eberts and the Williams family, you've got all this, and you know you've got Timmy Evans and Scotty Hodges and all these um, fans, you know Jeff Motley even, you know you've got these successful guys um, and the the eras that came before. And you walk into that change room under the grandstand, and there's the black and white pictures there. Of um, it's it's like it almost feels like an honour to be able to come into that zone in that area, and then the expectation of what you have to lift up to to um, to compete and be, you know, try to be uh, hold up what they've done, but also try and um, you know progress it and grow it and improve it. Um, so there's there's a lot of that that. That um, that goes on, and um, I, I was really, really lucky to have stepped into you know watch the late '80s, early '90s Magpies guys, and just the way that they would never out of the game and they'd dominate and come back and um, and have I held these guys up on a pedestal, you know, you know Greg Phillips and Tim Ginever, Delaney, Fiachi, Rollins, you know, you just go over and over all these names, and then. Having the um, the luck uh, to be walk in and then um, and actually train alongside these guys and sit in the rooms and listen to the stories they tell um, and you know understand the balance that came with enjoying your football but once when the whistle goes or the siren goes and you're on and then what your expectation is out there and knowing that they'll you know they expect everything from you and they'll give everything you as well and um it was it was just oh, i loved it like i remember my best my best footy memories around being a 17 year old 18 year old 19 year old moving in with those guys and watching them train and you know obviously some of them did it better than others and you know you got your larrikins and you got the guys that gym junkie that just go a bit crazy on things and other guys that just don't walk in the gym like rowan smith but <laughs> um you know there's it, but you know it takes all, all types but once you know, whatever they did, they made sure they were the best at it when they're on the field. And um, yet there was a level of commitment to each other that um, that was, you know, it was second to none in in, in the SNFL, and that sort of um, was sort of passed on and you know followed through into the AFL as well. And just before we get on to the AFL premierships for the Magpies in '95, '96, both against Central Districts under John Cale. What are your memories from those two flags and, and what's the feeling like when you do achieve that ultimate glory? Again, McGowan has tried hard, hasn't had a lot of support. And the Magpies, back-to-back premierships. John Carl, a very happy man, running out winners by 48 points. The Port Adelaide Football Cup are something special. So there it is, the siren's gone. Scotty Hodges has got seven, seven, three in fact. Can he make it eight? No, it's seven goals for a fair day at the office for Scotty Hodges. So the final score in the 1996 SNFL Grand Final of Port Adelaide, 11 goals, 14, 80, have defeated Central District, six goals, 8, 44, to take their 34th Premiership flag. Hell of a lot of nervousness is my, my main memory from that because... <laughs> Understandable. In 94, I was in the reserves. We won pretty much every game by 20 goals, went into the grand final and got uh, we lost to West, West Adelaide. We sat in the rooms and uh, listened to 
the 94 team being down throughout the game and then came out in time to see the the um, the foot get put down and Scotty Hodges dominate the game and they, they come from behind and win the grand final. So just having that experience of the year before and then moving in to play against Centrals who effectively they um, they kind of had the wood on us all both those years and um, and uh, we were probably seen as, a, as the, it was an older side but um, as, as we were moving through the finals and then coming into um, coming into the grand final I remember not being out of sleep <laughs> just that nervous about things but there was a bit of a calmness about things uh, in, in around the, the group because they'd just done it so many times before and um, and they still were had a laugh and had a joke and took the mickey out of people stuttering or not being able to get their message across in the team huddle and that went from the captain to the coach and to the support staff and um, moving in that week you know that was all right guys well this is what's going to happen and um on you know on monday night we have a chat tuesday night we have a training and then we you know there's going to probably be about five thousand people there and you're like what and, you know there's and then Thursday night, you know, we're going to have to move training over a bit because all the marquees for when we win the premiership are going to be set up on the oval. So we're going to have to train oh, on the yeah. other side. And there's, there's 10,000 people, or, you know, like it's just, you know, it might be an exaggeration. It feels about what, a couple of thousand people on the first night. And then the second night there were, of training, there was, the stands are full. You know, there's people everywhere. And oh, we'll have a kick and a catch on the Saturday before the Sunday grand final. And, you know, we're... we're um, and there, there would be another thousand odd people there, and you know, just the way, and and you know, the, the it was literally this is what we do. You walk in on when the finals start, and the change rooms are turned into a sea of black and white, and the history of this is what we do happened, and um, and you know, not everything goes perfectly in in those those final series, but um, I guess that's why you enjoy it when you do finally get over the line, and uh, and it was kind of. You know, you're living out a childhood dream. When I used to remember listening on the radio or watching on the TV, and the or Maggie's would kick a goal, and they'd hold North Adelaide the one goal for a grand final, and you're hooting and hollering up and down the street with all the kids excited about what's happening, and then you know having that opportunity then to actually you know be a part of a, a team and 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 do that to another squad and know that everyone else in the whole of Port Adelaide supporting you was was quite special. The um. I guess the main difference between, for me, when 95 and 96 was I probably had a lesser role in that 95. You know, just you do your job and we'll you give us the ball and we'll do everything. And then in 96, it was, no, you're going to shut down their key midfield player and play in the middle. And so it was a quite a... Um, um, I, I, I just was... I had to play, you know, in the first year, I, I just had to do my role and... You know, just everyone else. And the next year, I had that responsibility of right now. You've got to, you've actually got to play football, and you've actually got to influence the game significantly for us to win. And um, the, the the level of expectation and pressure and nervousness, um, where I thought my first one couldn't get more. That was kind of that. that I felt the weight of that a bit. And um, but uh, obviously, then the result um, makes it all worthwhile in the end. So um, yeah, it was just. Uh, you know, I say a bit of luck in timing with being in the right place at the right time with a lot of my football career, and um, but you know, having having some great people around to make sure that you make the most of those 
circumstances. Um, yeah, I was very, very grateful to, to have someone like Timmy Jenner around and, you know, having a reserves coach in Greg Phillips, um, you know, it was just, just a, a really great experience. So after after these premierships, 1997, that's when Port Adelaide finally make it into the AFL and it probably came a little bit later than, than they would have liked, but it, it eventually happened. How did you see that transition from the SNFL into the AFL and how did the listing process work from the 1996 Magpie squad into the 1997 Power squad? It was a bit of an eye-opener, stepping in from SNFL to AFL, changing the list. A lot of guys that had sort of got the team into the AFL then weren't selected to represent, which was probably a hard transition. And we brought in, um, the club did really well to organise a list that would be pretty competitive. You know, we only weren't expected to do well at all, but then we only just missed out by a game maybe on playing the first finals. And I I think um, everyone was hopeful that we'd just go in and roll on, but... um, um, realistically, it is it's, it, it, it was a the, the level of preparation and uh, and experience it had to be earned and learnt um, was um, was probably more than I I guess I anticipated and um, and the, the, the length of the season and the, the it, there's a lot to learn about. Um, travel and hotels and preparation and getting you know like sleeping someone else, you know, sleeping in the hotel bed before you you rock up in a, the different time slots of games and things like that. So that was that was a, a real um, that was that's a challenge and it probably takes a good couple of years or a few years to, to adapt to that. Um, I think the the process of ninety seven to two thousand and four, you know, we had a emotional energized. 97 and there was a bit of a lull in the middle there where you're just like all right now it's going again and this is hard work it was probably for a couple of years and um and that you know that probably came through in the results but then seeing then there was a a definite shift in transition in the late 90s to 2000 where i guess there was a little bit of a handover from jack to mark to the sanfl coaching side of things moot the level of what you need, the preparedness for um, knowing your opposition, knowing the stats. You know, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, if we try harder, we'll win. It was actually, we have to actually set up in really good positioning. We have to know the opposition. Um, we have to predict what they're going to do and, you know, play it on our, make them play it on our terms. You know, there was a, the level of expectation of your knowledge had really, really went through the roof once um, in the, after the first couple of years where we were just sort of battling things along. And that's, I think, where it was where um, a lot of our improvement came from. And then, obviously, there's a restructure of the list and then there's some exceptional football minds brought into the club as well, um, you know, getting um, Bales in, Phil Walsh, Clarko, Pitt, Pitt, David Pittman came through. Um, you know, there was a bit of trial and error with a few different people, but... Um, um, you know, Choco really shaped his coaching star and their level of expectation was exceptionally high and equal to what his level of expectation was, I think. And um, and they all went about it in a different way. But uh, I still think the, the level that those guys expected and got out of us and what, what they did is still 
uh, would compete with um, with more than half the AFL teams that are floating around now that are going, what sort of structure, what do we get together and what, what's our level of knowledge and how much effort they put in, I think they'd be still sitting well above a lot of clubs in, in what they what they can provide and what they um, can contribute to, a, to an AFL club. Yeah, that, that journey from 97 to 2004 is really interesting. But just keep it at 97 just for a moment. A very successful first season for Port Adelaide. You win 10 games, 11 losses and a draw, and you only miss out in the finals by percentage. So for any startup club, that's that's really impressive. But you have an incredible first season playing primarily as an on-baller. You, you play every game and you win the, the Rising Star Award. I'm sure that first season comes with a great sense of pride for the club to finally be in the AFL and for you to win that award as the best first-year player. The 1997 Norwich Rising Star nominees provided a bottomless pool of young talent, far and away the best of the award's five-year history. That said, Port Adelaide on-baller Michael Wilson was a standout choice as Rookie of the Year. The 20-year-old played all 22 games and represented South Australia after deliberately holding back from the national draft to ensure he'd be part of Port Power's AFL debut. Yeah, I, I was, as far as going through that year, absolutely. I, um, uh, as a young, as teenagers and young guys do, you thrive on having, um, you know, the energy and excitement of a bigger crowd and people, the, the level of competition that was there and then, um, and probably, I guess, enjoy being in the media and get people saying, oh, you, you're doing really well. But it is a long year and you do, uh, it was, it was, it was quite, quite a hard year as it went through and, um, and uh, I, I guess I didn't really know about the, the best first year player award. I, I'd have to say it's only you get nominated, but even then I didn't know much about it. It's probably uh, when, it, when I, you know, when I won it, people said you, you know, you, 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 oh, you were going to do it easy. And I, in the end, I think I, I did buy a bit, but um, I, that's one of those things you know, on a lesser scale to like when people went to Brown. But you actually look back and go, oh yeah, it's actually pretty cool. And seeing your name up against all the other people that have won it is, is quite quite cool as well but um, and then I look at it and go oh geez I feel like a bit of a um, I feel like you belong in that crew because there's a lot of guys that uh, went on and won Brownlows and um, you know were captains of sides and just dominated from years on and I in the end I had a really good year and I think I was a you know, had a, the, the usual lull that people have in the, the second and third year but um you know, I get. Uh, I, I, I always look at it and go, "Geez, I wish I had a. You know, wish I had done this. I would have. Should, wish I had done that." But um, in the end, it was um, it was a great award to to win. Um, and uh, I guess you know, winning that award and um, it, it was great. But it's always you know the the, the premiership side of things that was, was the main thing that you're trying to get. Um, you know, I and um, the between that ninety like, end of ninety seven, I was. I was quite ended up being quite sick and just sort of fell through got through the year so um and you know and then after a couple of years I started you know as you do when you um grow in football you start accumulating a few injuries which sort of wear wear you out a little bit and and um, sort of take from your performance in ways but um yeah it, it, I think um I think it was it would be probably looked at at the time as not a super successful year and then it was only reflection of once other teams come in and just you know can't win a game that you actually go oh gee actually winning that amount of games in your first year stepping into the you know the AFL is it was actually probably overachieving in a way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Even the fact it was over 20 years ago, for a club to only miss out on the finals uh, by percentage in their first season, like you would never see a new, if you know Tasmania come in the AFL or whatever, Gold Coast, GWS back in the day, they would never have even come close to possibly making finals. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I think even with in the in the recent history of being able with GWS and uh, Gold Coast, you know, they're being they're getting all these draft preferences and they're able to strip clubs of top players and that the bucket loads of money to throw at people to come that way. So you should be able to accumulate quite a um, skillful competitive side. But yeah, it, it tends to show up that. It's, um, it's, you know, there's something different between what Port Adelaide was able to do stepping into the AFL and what other clubs have, you know, have sort of are not failed to do, but um, just don't haven't matched up to that um, that result in in their first year of, of you know coming into the AFL. And you know, the the teams that have been in for a little while, you know, you look at some teams just haven't even gone close to a, a winning a grand final and. Uh, some are, you know, still trying to find one, you know, and, and been in there for far longer than Port Adelaide, who have, you know, sort of been up and around the mark ever since, you know, right from the start. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick quarter time break here on A5Q. Recently, I've become an ambassador of Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style too. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not achieve this efficiently. So if you want high quality results, you're going to have to go for high quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair, beard and grooming products and tools for any well-groomed man. These products are actually going to get in there, moisturize, rehydrate and clean your scalp, hair and beard thoroughly without putting a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, brushes, combs, and even nail clippers. Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for the past two years and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your hair game to that next level without breaking the bank, you've got to check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DMATO10, spelt D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you're going to get 10% off your purchase for a limited time only, so get in quick. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Just one more 97 before we move on. That's the season where one of Australia's greatest sporting rivalries is born in the showdown, Adelaide versus Port Adelaide. Uh, the first season, you split the results one all, but you have something that is yours and yours alone. You scored the very first showdown goal. Man runs onto the pocket. That's Wilson. Sharp angle. Only about 30 metres from goal. So off in the way, storming up the ground, turn the ball over, exposed, coming back. Wilson kicks hard and kicks truly. That round four game, Port upset the Crows, who were the eventual premiers that season. And that, that still arguably you could maybe say that the 2005 semi-final but that that's one of the most famous showdowns that that first ever meeting between the two clubs what did it mean to the club to win that first showdown did you ever sense at the time just how big that moment was and how incredible the rivalry could be or is that something you look at a bit later on and you say gee we we it was great that we could win that first showdown to sort of in a way kind of show who's boss a little bit Footy Park, early Sunday morning, and not a fan in sight. 
Then, the onslaught. Some fans had been waiting years for today's historic match and they weren't going to let their sides down. Some went to extreme lengths to show their true colours, while others were quick to part with their cash. Good amount of money for both sides. Uh, at the moment, there's probably been more for the Crows. Throughout the day, the crowd streamed in. Footy Park jam-packed right on game time. Many fans have had sleepless nights this week waiting for the ultimate showdown between the Crows and Port Power. And for many fans, the result is a case of life and death because no one wants to lose. I don't support Port at all. I hate them. <laughs> Port Adelaide people are better. The Crows were doing very easily today. I'm retired and love every bit of Port Adelaide. We've been living for this game for a long while. So it's going to be great. So history, great build-up all week. And the record book will show Port Power have won the first showdown in Adelaide. Relishing the moment, drives it around the outer side. Wait for the roar on the siren. The Battle of Adelaide has been fought and won. That first one, there was a lot of hype about it and it was years' worth of, um, of toil for not just um, the, that 97 squad was just a representation in that game of all the guys that had um, done all that hard work in the years leading up to get the licence to be pushed back by the SANFL, to made to wait again. To, you know, So there was a lot underlying all that. And I think um, the coaching staff, the support staff, um, the, the, the guys that had come in from the Magpies into the power, um, that wasn't lost on, on them. And that was a fair driver to that result. That was, um, it was like, it was the one chance we got to, um, well, it was the one statement we could make, I think, where if we gave everything to this, we are definitely the underdogs. Um, it's our, you know, it was a, it was a chance to, um, steal that back, you know, that, that, you know, we are the underdogs and that was our spot. Let's just, you guys have been in for a while, but we're going to show you. And that was, that was the, the, I guess the big driver behind what happened in, in that game, and it was a, it has continued to be. Um, I think the first, those first four or five years were really intense, and every almost finals like nervousness and how things going to go, and um, the intensity that they'll play it out. I, 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 you know, it's it's still there, the rivalry still there, but um, there was a lot of emotion over years of um, you know boardroom scuffles and out media. Stuff that went on that that drove a lot of what went in on those first year, first few years, and um, especially you, know, you look at the, the the Ramsgate thing and the fights that used to happen, and the yeah, of course, um, it's just it was um, it was a bit more, it, you know, being in that it was just a little bit more than just a football game at that point, and whereas now I think it it is uh, now it is it's a football and a football result, and everyone finishes and shaking shakes hands after. And, at, the, at that time, in the early phase, there was none of that. It was like, nah, this is out. Like, we've got to get this. And if you're shaking hands or smiling after the result or whatever, <laughs> it, it, you, you, you play the game to win for all those reasons I mentioned before. And um, they were, they were they're absolutely, um, I talk about the nervousness of those 95 and 96 grand finals, but they were definitely leading into those games, having to stand, I don't know, um, Darren Jarman or... You know, Rashudo or Tyson, there was, you know, Barty, all those different guys. I was that nervous leading into those games um, just for the opponent that you had to stand and what it meant to try and win those games. And 
um, it was it was uh, they were pretty special and absolutely being the quiz question answer of who kicked the first showdown goal is um, has been I've been sitting in rooms when people have asked it and I'm like you know so it is it's it's a it's a good honour and um, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with that I'll have to say. <laughs> no it should be I think I agree with what you're saying how it's not as I guess as fiery a battle any like I think when we went to Adelaide Oval I think. That rejuvenated the rivalry a little bit, but it still hasn't got that, how do I say, as much tension as it perhaps did in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, that that um, who wins the first one at Adelaide Oval and all that sort of stuff absolutely was, that did, you're right, um, rejuvenate that. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. Um, and potentially it's because in 97 it was a bulk, there was true you know like really like true Port Adelaide born people playing in those games whereas now it's it is a very it's a it's a people are drafted and brought in from around the country to represent in that that side uh, that that might have a little bit a little bit more to do with it but uh, I yeah I, I don't have you know I don't have a, a full um, answer to it but um when you've got um, Braden Lyle and myself and um, guys that have played and grown up in Port Adelaide representing Port Adelaide in the AFL that have lived that um, experience of, you know, getting, oh, we should be in there and we're not, um, that was a good chance to show the, the, you know, the guys that were running the AFL at the time that they'd made a mistake and that that was our spot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. After 97, we sort of come towards the 2000s era. Mark Williams comes in. And you, the Port Adelaide are building towards what was eventually a premiership winning team in 2004. But this is the sort of time where you start having some significant injury problems. You play just 11 games in 2001 and you miss the entire of 2002. And as we said, this this coincides with Port's rising to the top four. What's it like when the team is playing you know, finals football, a premiership is seemingly going to happen soon? And you're sort of on the sidelines, and you can't be part of it. Is how frustrating is that when your team is in the top four and you you can't play? Yeah, it, it, extremely frustrating. Like I, I think I got like 98 odd games, I think, without missing, and then um, and then I um, did a, a knee ACL and had to have a reconstruction, and then a number of months into that, I had to have it re revised and and done again with other cleanouts and bits and pieces over that stage, and I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 2001 we won like the premiership for the pre-season, which gave us a bit of a roll in, and things were looking okay. And then getting that injury is hard enough in itself. Um, but uh, if you then re-injure it, like you know, it's essentially two years out of football. And everyone says, "Oh, if you have two years out, you'll be you have two years on the end." And it's not quite doesn't <laughs> quite work that way. It'd be nice if it did, but um, there's a lot of um, I guess ongoing restriction and um, with things that and that you have to overcome as well. Not just the physical, but there's a few mental hurdles, and definitely makes it harder in 2002 when the guys are like they're going to finish top of the ladder or thereabouts. Going, what am I missing out on here? Um, you know, it was watching that sort of disappear in front of your eyes. So that was that was quite tough, and um, it didn't. It did inspire me and motivate me to get myself fitter, stronger and um, get myself back in there. Uh, you know, in, in 2003, where I was able to sort of get back in and around it, I I was 
super keen, super excited, but hesitant and nervous about am I going to hold up or are things going to fall apart again for me? So there was there was a lot of a lot of anxiety in around those couple of years. Um, I think you know this, uh, probably in a way when you injure yourself, if you have a good couple of years and then you injure yourself and the team's going well, you do there is a little upside in that. You know, when you're not playing, people go, "Oh, if only we had so and so back." So you actually get better <laughs> if you're not playing. <laughs> so right, the, the, you know, the people looking at the team, "Oh, if we had Michael Wilson in there," or "Oh no, we've lost, um, we've lost the, you know, Stephen Paxman," or you know, you lose these guys. And they're, oh, how good would the team be if they would be in there? And then all of a sudden, um, your value goes up in a way. Yeah, so, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that you know that. Uh, then that puts a little bit more heat on when you come back and you're not, you know, that you have to perform because everyone sort of talks you up that you will add to the side when you're back in. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was a, a tough little hint of um, operations and and um, I, I guess there's that uncertainty with with how you're going to come back to it. But you, you know, if you're well supported by the the um, the medical staff, the coaching staff, and the officials around the club that are, are running it, then you know that if they're good at what they do, they keep you like, no, you'll be right, we'll get you back. You know, we're going to support you, we'll follow you through, and all that sort of stuff. And that that takes a, a fair whack of that anxiety out. But um, you know, as sports people do, you put a lot of pressure on yourself, and um, you do feel like things are evaporating away from you and that you're missing out and that that is that is a you know it's a challenge you know back then and it is still now for guys that are going through injuries and uh, that are missing out on finals and sports and things like that so when you return I mean ACL injuries are one of the most common injuries in in the AFL but when you do return is there ever times where you are a bit hesitant like you might pull back from going into packs or you're sort of very aware of where your feet are. Do you ever become hesitant at all when you return? So there is a significant difference between uh, 80s to 90s, 90s to 2000s. And like when I did mine to, to now, the management of um, of those significant injuries. Um, so we, we would have part-time stock video and you know, so and now there's multiple people around. So the rehab that happened for me twenty odd years ago compared to now is light years apart. And um, so yes, I would say I was hesitant when I was coming back for certain bits and pieces and you know, the change of direction and oh, am I going to stri- do a hamstring? And all you know, sort of all these things that come along. Um, I don't know. Once you're out there and the footy's bouncing around, then you're in and you're going. Um, it's the, when you're not 100% focused on the football and you're outside of the play a little bit or times of training where you do, you probably that does creep in a little bit. But the difference, as I say, for, for now is there's a lot more research into how you can protect the knee, how you can, um, what level of strength and how you can assess it, you know, the progressive change of direction and the rehab coordinators, the physios, the docs have got that much more experience and research behind it and um, often you'll see guys now you know if the graph does hold up which you know it it seems to be doing a lot better um, if it does hold up from that perspective the guys are actually coming back they've got putting aside 12 9 to 12 months of targeted um, increase in performance and strength and things like that so they actually for my um, 
view on some guys that I've seen rehab it. They actually um, come back, if not fitter and stronger than before. And um, but uh, yeah, it, it, when you're talking about it 20 years ago, it just wasn't that attention to detail, and that that's where things would get would go wrong. And um, that's probably why you know I ended up with two two instead of one operation. Yeah, wow. That's that. Yeah, very interesting. So. 2001 to 2004 for Port Adelaide is is such an interesting time because uh, you had an unbelievably skillful, tough, and intimidating team with Warren Treadrow, Gavin Wanganeen, the Burgoyne brothers, the Corns brothers, yourself, Matthew Primus, Brendan Lay, Stuart Jew. This goes on. Uh, you were so dominant in all those years. 2001 finished third, then 02, 03, 04, you finished on top. 2001 to three, you were not able to replicate that form in finals. What, what what do you think the reasons were for that? Did did you have a confidence problem or um, an inability to handle pressure? Were there just other clubs that were just peaking a little bit more than you? What what do you think the reasons were you you couldn't get to a grand final before two thousand and four? Montgomery at halfback wants Treadray, can't quite get him. Hay with him, Treadray and Hay. Treadray's left foot kick, Hawthorne have won it. Hawthorne have won it. It's one of the greatest victories in the history of a club that had such a run in the 1980s. Dipper's down there, he was part of all of that. It is a sensational win against all the odds. Great handle from Black to McRae. Just misses. Yeah, I think, uh, that's and it. there it is. And for the second year running, Brisbane are into the grand final. This time, they'll take it. Get ready for a thunderous roar! Did a review of what happened in 2003 
there was a more of a united group that went into 2004 and motivated with let's get we need to we need to remove this uh, regarding the team plan we we need to play our way and not restructure you know completely change things um to to, to counteract an opposition's game plan you know like we we finished top like we don't we shouldn't have to change ours game plan to, to play say at Collingwood we, what we should do is actually play our way because that's what's got us there and there was a, a really um, open discussions with Choco and Walsh and Bales and the leaders as to this is what we need to do for, um, to get us over the line um, and you can't underestimate the value of having a number of years of Andrew Russell's running program um, you get better with age with those programs and we were an exceptionally strong running side and we got better and better from 01 to 04 each year there was significant improvement across the group and um and that that also assisted in our confidence to to be able to overrun teams throughout that um you know 0304 bracket so there's a, there's a lot of there was a lot of things that were that were changed and contributed to um to that we have to get that result in 04 um, and, and, and it, yeah, you, you, it's not just one thing that had to change. 2004 then, looking back now, it was probably the club's final chance to win a flag. There's that famous preliminary final against St Kilda. Now, leading up to that game, I would imagine there was incredible pressure on you guys because you went out in straight sets 2001 and then preliminary final losses in 02, 03. You were probably known across the league as chokers. Did you feel that pressure coming into that game against St Kilda? Must man up now, the Saints. Michael Wilson, like his club, this man has suffered a couple of major setbacks in his career. Caught by a straight kick. And they are there. For the first time, the power are in the grand final. Absolutely, yeah. Like we, um, you know, no doubt we were throwing around that we were chokers, and anything that the Victorian um, media could throw at us, that that would be something that really sort of burnt you. And without, you know, if you finish top and you can't get into a grand final, let alone, you know, you know, try and win one as well. But if you not even get into the grand final, you, you would be classed as an un- underperforming team in the finals. And um, regarding that, you know, the chokers, you know, we were. Teams like um, oh, Hawthorne or Sydney, they they smothered us, and we they they effectively choked, <laughs> made us they, they just wouldn't let us play, and that that they, they were issues in it. And so heading into the um, the St Kilda game, there was you know there was definitely things that we we uh, in the background that were um, I guess a little bit of self doubt um, that was, and um, but the pressure of things probably tipped it, tipped it in our scales that we just had to. We just had to win, you know, and you don't, we, you know, you can look back now and say, oh, it was our last chance. We, we probably should have squeezed in the team we had. We probably should have got an extra grand final game in there and, you know, ideally a win. 05, we, 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 uh, it was just a tired team there. Uh, we, that we should have experienced, you know, going back again, that we, we should have performed way better in 2005, but, um, unfortunately that, that didn't play out as, as, as we you know, would have hoped, but yeah, that 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 St Kilda game, you know, there's a lot riding on it. You know, they were up and coming, flying alongside with Fraser Gary looking to kick 100 goals. Um, a lot of heat on us for bowing out in prelim finals 
you know, that was there was a lot of reasons why you know they should have won, and a lot of reasons why we should have won, and um, it was a pretty um, hard fought, tight, exciting game, and uh, one of the my I guess my favourite games for my for my career I would say that I have good memories of you know going back and taking marks and, the, and contributing that's what all you want to do is, is contribute and getting to have I think I had the last kick of the game you know all that sort of stuff where I, I have you know I don't remember a lot about my footy career I just um, but that, that was one of those games where I actually had had memories referee says fellas take a break it's half time Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. Yeah, you mentioned that you don't have a, a lot of memories, but do you remember that moment late in the last quarter when Nick Rewalt goes inside 50 and Brent Guerra had that opportunity with the soccer, but he couldn't quite get his foot to it? It's play the Saints the still a chance. And they can switch it two to Powell. There's one-on-ones ahead. He goes for Revolt, who's got to dig deep. He's got to dig into every inch of his body and see if he can get it forward. Gary makes his lead, then doubles back. Guerra, the former Port player's lurking. He's at the back of the pack. Brent Guerra couldn't get the boot to the ball. And it's over. Oh, high drama at Amy Stadium. What a moment for Brent Guerra. And he just couldn't quite keep his feet. That was a significant moment uh, in in that whole game. In that uh, Brent Guerra was one of those guys that got moved on with Nick Stevens, and um, you know it was for me, for us, for me looking at that, that was one of those moments where a couple of the guys that might have held us back in the years before, um, it was you know they that that was. For me, the guy that was doing everything right to win everything actually sort of had that win over someone that at that time wasn't doing everything right, and that was sort of like the the good guys finally got up on that one. Um, no, no disrespect to Brent Guerra because he he uh, he moved out of um, Port Adelaide, found his feet into state, and then he changed his career around to become a a, a dominant contributor to Hawthorne and um, and. You know, won premierships himself and um, had just an amazing career. Um, but that, 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 that around that time, you know, unfortunately, was sort of I feel like he was misled by a, a couple of different guys and went down the wrong path. And then we had to move him on. And that for me was one of those moments where we went, yep, we we did the right thing. We got we got the right crew in, and that sort of felt like justice in a way. That that's how how that particular um, sort of situation played out. Yeah, very interesting. So now we get to the good stuff. So 2004 Grand Final, you finally make it. You're playing this incredible Brisbane Lions team who had won the Premiership 01-02-03 and were going for four in a row. Now, had they won that game, they would have been unquestionably the greatest AFL team of all time. After halftime break, you guys basically just dominate that second half 
Uh, you claim Premiership glory by 40 points. Firstly, and I'll ask this question to a lot of those who I've had on the show who have experienced this. What's it like on grand final day when you come up the race and you run through the banner in front of that screaming crowd? Pretty exhilarating. It's hard, it's hard to put it in words. It's not something that you experience. For some people never, and um, you don't um, experience much in life where you're, um, you're nervous, excited, you're anxious, you um, feel like you could run through a brick wall. You're, yeah, so there's, there's a lot that goes to it. And then there's, you're trying to hold back the emotion of how much you've kind of put to get in there and try and focus on what you have to do to, to, to win, how far off the game's going to start. And then you're like, oh, Jesus, that's right. We've got to get to sit down and do a photo now. You know, like, all the time still a photo. Um, so um, it is, it's, a, it's a tough one to put into, put into words. It's just, uh, it's just a, a, a million and one emotions rolling around all in one with the weight of a, your expectations and your family and your club and the history of everything sort of floating around of how you've got there. That, that's all sort of weighing pretty, pretty heavy on you. you just wanting to get out there and um, blow that siren so you can because in every grand final you just need get get that get your hands on the footy get involved do something and, and just get up once the siren's gone because there's that hectic um, blitz that, that happens at the start and the nerves and you settle once once that's done you know so there's, there's it's almost like you know can we just fast forward the clock just five minutes now and let's just get this going so when was the moment when you knew you had the lines? An outpouring of emotion from Mark Williams. He's the proudest man in the land tonight. I asked him yesterday whether he felt that his late father and his late brother and his mother who recently had heart surgery were with him today. He said he did. Look at that. There it is. It's all over. Port Adelaide. They had the power to win. And it was very much history in the making today. This is what football is all about. Unbridled jubilation around the MCG. And as always, there's a loser. But you can never call the Brisbane Lions losers. We now have great pleasure in inviting former Port Adelaide champion and Hall of Fame member John Cale to present the Premiership Cup to the captain, Warren Treadray, and the coach, Mark Williams. Oh, I have a lot of, and had a lot of respect for Brisbane. So I, it was, it was probably about 10 to 15 minutes to go in the, um, in the last quarter, where 15 minutes to go, I'm going, I think we've got this. 10 minutes to go, I'm probably going, I don't think they can come back from now. Um, but, you know, the, I don't know what the score was at three quarter time, but they're only a goal or two down. Like it wasn't like a, it wasn't like oh, geez, they're well and truly out of this. It was, um, you know, you know they've got some absolute guns. Good teams respond, uh, and you know even when we're you know, we're looking at we you know might be three or four goals up, we're still let's stick with it, guys. We, we've got this. We've got to let's keep driving hard. You know there was a lot of chatter around between the back line about just. We can't let it through. It can't come through. So um, knowing that, you know, you, you, a guy like Ackermanis snaps a goal from the pocket and kicks a goal, and that might, you know, that that might open up the floodgates. That it might spark something. So, and that 
that's the way they were. You know, they they stuck at it, and um, you know, there, we wouldn't. T- it was only small moments and small changes that could have re- that can reverse the situation. So you just need to. We just needed to stay on. Um, I, you know, I have to say, when Adam Kingsley's kicking goals, you know, it's not many, You know, you're going to win if Adam Kingsley's kicking goals. So that's that's always. Um, a, a, a bit of an indicator that we're, we're going to win. So uh, there was there were moments when Dewey's banged his goal through and King has kicked his that you just go, yeah, this is it's done and dusted now. We can actually relax a little bit and just enjoy enjoy the moment. And, I mean, you've already br- briefly mentioned it, but what's that sort of first half an hour to an hour after that final siren? I'm sure they're memories you'll cherish forever. Yeah, it was... I mean, I know everyone responds differently some guys are excited some are um, uh, for me um, there was that I was proud I was relieved but I was just emotionally drained I'd had a a pretty average year regarding like um, dislocating subluxing I should say left shoulder and uh, uh, my other shoulder I had a rotator cuff repair so I just kept feel like it was subluxing and dislocating you know but and, and the effect of that from right early in the season and not sleeping. So you're just worn out. Um, and so you had that build-up expectation and nervousness and rise of emotions and up and down and you're leading through not just the season but then the, the um, intensity of it in the finals campaign that I got through at the end of the grand final and I had that elation and then very quickly just turned into complete exhaustion and just drained. And so... Um, and really emotional about it as well. And I, I, I ended up, you know, it was great. I had my family there and I had friends. And, and I was lucky enough. The club said, oh, look, guys, we can only get you three or four tickets. So, um, and I, I was like, what? And they got like, yeah, three or four tickets, that's it. We can, that's all we can get you. And I and I went, you're kidding me, aren't you? I've worked my bum off this. Uh, and they said, how many tickets do you need? I said, I need 21 tickets. And, oh, wow. Um, and sure enough, Everyone else listened and only got three or four. I ended up with my whole family and extended friends there, and I had a big crew of guys that got across for it. And um, I spent, I made sure I got all every one of them out on the oval. Um, we had photo together. We they came down in the rooms. We had a beer together, and just and just you know the people that helped me get there, you know, from your junior career through your you know seniors and into that, and even those uh, injury years. Um, Made sure I got them and in and involved, and um, you know, we went and had the, went to the team dinner afterwards, and then by about eleven o'clock at night, I was in bed, exhausted. I just there was no celebrating from my, my side of things. Oh, wow. it, was, it was just uh, I, I just went to bed and um, and was just absolutely spent. Was probably the easiest way to explain it. That's a cool story though, because everyone's got their own grand final stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, my. Don't get me wrong, my mates and my brother and people that just drove over at the last minute that I met after the game from from when I went to primary school and high school, they celebrated till I think three three four days in, you know. <laughs> but but I just I was just that uh, I was that um, worn out from from everything. I just didn't have it in me to, to get out there and just and uh, you know take advantage of the the people buying your drinks and celebrate and go to get in here and go there. I just, it wasn't in me for for that. I was just that, uh, that worn out. Yeah. Before we get into the final stretch of this incredible chat, we need to take a final break for three quarter time here on A5Q. Now, as I'm sure you're all aware, 
I love podcasting. It really is an enjoyable ride and a chance for me to share my passion to the world. So why don't you do the same? Whether it be a sports podcast like mine, a comedy podcast, an educational podcast, a movie, TV show, or gaming podcast, or even if you just want to get a few friends together for a weekly chat, it doesn't matter what your podcast is about. What matters is setting it up through Podbean. Podbean is the best and most certainly the easiest way to start a podcast. And the best part of it is it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. If you hit up my special link at www.podbean.com slash A5Q, you'll have the choice of starting your brand new podcast for as little as $9 per month on an annual plan. Now that is an unbelievable price considering you'll get unlimited storage, beautiful podcast themes, you'll be able to map your own domain, comprehensive podcast stats and podcast monetization. Now, guys, I tried to set up my podcast with a few other websites and just couldn't work it out. It was way too complicated, but Podbean was just so simple, so easy to use, and it produced the results for me. So definitely, if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast, but you've got no idea how to go about it, visit www.podbean.com slash A5Q and get started with Podbean today to join the Pod family. Or if it's easier, the link will be in the description below. But in the meantime, let's get back to the show. 2001 to 2004 as a whole, Port won two preseason titles, three minor premierships, and then eventually won the premiership in 2004. When you look back at this period, and it's been, what, 15, nearly 20 years since, since this time, do you look at that period more with the pride of winning the premiership in 2004? Or, uh, and I know you, you sort of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but do you look at it more with, gee, we didn't cash in like we could have because you could easily make a case to say Port could have won one or two or possibly even, you could have even really four-peated. Did you ever look at that and think we got there and won it or more we didn't win as many as we could have won? There's probably five, one to five percent of me that goes, geez, we should have done a bit better and got another one. But there's the, like I don't look really, I don't really look at the pre-season ones and go, wow, that was a successful period. I go, Back-to-back pre-season titles. Yeah, yeah. for me, my greatest pride is saying I played in three premierships for Port Adelaide. So my my, my, uh, two SANFL and one AFL, um, those premierships for me, they're they're what I reflect back on and go, wow, that was great. And um, and I'm extremely grateful to have... The, the experience of an AFL grand final win and have your name on the the, the, the trophy to you know and contribute to that to have to have that with guys like um, you know Choco and Bales and Walshy and um, you know Clarko and David Pittman and Andrew Russell that sort of actually had an opportunity to be coached and learn off those guys I, I look at that as a massive um, experience and um, extremely grateful for that and um, I know I feel for the guys like Josh Franco and Matty Primus that rode the wave all the way through that um, their knee injuries happened you know at the worst possible time um, that that they, they I guess they shared in the, all that experience by that last um, last that, that one grand final win in, in 2004 um so I, you know, I feel for those guys, but in, in, in that instance, that um, you know, if you're looking at, I don't think we were ever a chance to win four or three. I think if with Maddie Primus and Josh and 
myself without all those knee injuries in that bracket. That, that, that's where I talk about, oh, geez, we could have squeezed an extra one in, but it is what it is. You know, injuries happen in football. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I know that we had an exceptional squad that could have, could have, absolutely could have won another premiership in there somewhere, but the stars have to align for that sort of stuff to happen. It, it's a lot of hard work. Everyone else could mount an argument why they could have played in a grand final and won, won an extra one, or Brisbane could have won four, or St Kilda could have squeezed one in, and all that sort of stuff. But the stars, everything has to go near on perfectly, and um, and. Uh, and I just think that I was quite privileged to, to, to sort of represent the club in their first first premiership at the moment. For the power, it's their first and only premiership in the AFL. Um, you know, fingers crossed that that changes in the in the next few weeks coming up. But um, and then we can add another twenty odd guys into that premiership reunion that we that we will have in the coming years. So uh, after the 2004 Premiership, you have a couple of years, I guess, going down the ladder. I mean, you, you won a final in 05, but you, you really only just snuck into the eight. And then 06 was disappointing. But 2007 is what I want to talk about because you had a very solid group. Um, a lot of players still there from 04, but also a few previously unheralded players who all just clicked and really had a good season. So players like David Roden, uh, Daniel Motlop, Brett Ebert, Tom Logan, Daniel Pierce, these sort of guys basically come from nowhere. And you you finish second and you end up playing in the grand final that year. Did the rise in 2007 come as a surprise at all? And I guess, what was the reason for that spike in form? Uh, absolutely was, I would say, a surprise. Um, no one would have backed us to come anywhere. You know, we were on a, re- you call it a rebuilding phase, but I think that was the year that Westy Bokey and Robbie Gray sort of slid, slid in the side as well. So that's quite a couple of handy inclusions to start their career. But um, I think what happened there was we did, it was, we, 06 was, and between 05 and 07, there was a bit of a, oh, we're going to move these guys on and get other ones in. And, you know, some, some guys that absolutely gave everything for the club Premiership players and were all sort of moved on in that bracket, and they they hung on to I, I guess a core group of guys that could hold down decent positions and play well, and um, and then tried to sprinkle that in with some new talent. And um, we had a bit of a changeover. Obviously, Andrew Russell's gone, so in end of '04, so that was a bit of a shock through '05, and we had to change things around '05, '06, and then had the I guess the development of. Having having Andrew Russell was huge. So he he had a huge impact on our in our squad and our fitness and our um, confidence in ourselves. And then lo- losing him was a, was a pretty big impact in 05. And definitely we were searching for that in 05, 06, and 07 to, to regain that. And um, we were lucky enough. I think Virgo came in and around that bracket. And Andrew uh, Choco sort of handed over. This is what Andrew Russell's been doing. So he sort of took that on, gave it his flavour, and. And on we went from there, but it took a couple of years to get a bit of trust in, in that and see what we could do. And then when we hit um, the start of 2007, we weren't rated anywhere in anywhere in any of the predictions. But what happened was Fremantle was rated very highly as a premiership favourite. You know, they were had a good squad and we went to Western Australia and beat them right early in the start of the season. And the energy and lift that gave us in that instance rode us through most of the year. So we, we were probably supposed to be one of the bottom sides that came through and beat the you know one of the top two favourites for the Premiership. 
and the energy, excitement and emotion that drove the games. And then we had games where we'd come from behind and win and we just fought games out. And so uh, it was, we had a good sprinkling at that time of an older group and then some young, exciting stuff happening, much like the, the team of Port Adelaide now. You know, there's that um, Gray and um, Bokey, those older guys, then they've got your first and second year guys coming in. So there's a little bit of a, you know, there's, a, there's that excitement that pushes those guys along. And that's, uh, I think, what rode us through that that year. And we had a lot of self-belief in, in that season. And none more, it was shown in that Geelong, going down to Geelong, and they had lost there in how many games and years or whatever. And then we came from behind to, to steal that last minute goal uh, game. That was... Yeah, the Cassisi goal. A, yeah, that was a real great demonstration of a team of self-belief that didn't care where they went that we thought were a chance and um, and uh, unfortunately though I think what happens from that point is it sort of shows that if we had a maybe if we had a lost that one just we might have given a bit better <laughs> show in the grand final but yeah that, that stuff happens you know that's, that's uh, part of history that, that uh, an unfortunate part of Port Adelaide's history that, that grand final I mean, the 2007 preliminary final against North Melbourne at uh, Amy Stadium, you snapped your Achilles tendon and you well, basically were no chance of playing in the grand final against Geelong. Now, obviously, yep. obviously you, you would never have foreseen what was going to happen you know, a week later, but can you explain the emotion of a build-up to the grand final, the buzz around town and what it means to the people of Port Adelaide and knowing that you're not going to be a part of it? What's that emotion like? Port Adelaide will go into Saturday's AFL Grand Final without one of their stars after Michael Wilson tore his Achilles tendon at the weekend. But the disappointment has one spin-off, the power players vowing to take out the Premiership in Wilson's honour. He's the heart and soul of the power and original Port Adelaide magpie, but Michael Wilson will miss the side's grand final after tearing his Achilles tendon during last week's preliminary final. His teammates, though, are using the veteran's hard luck as motivation. Our hearts go out to him and uh, we've got to do this one for him. He's just he's played such an integral role in our team over the past years and he's going to be solely missed, but the guy who comes in and has to play his role is, is going to have to fill his shoes and they're big shoes to fill. While Wilson could well have played his last game defending Daryl Wakeland will bow out after this weekend. He's hoping a second flag will give him the perfect send-off. Personally, it's going to be a nice way to go out and um, playing in the team that um, that we've got here is uh, just pretty special in itself. Wakeland is one of many players who played in the club's last premiership. Another who was there in 2004, Sean Burgoyne, says that gives his side a distinct advantage over Geelong. It's definitely a bonus for us to have the 10 premiership players playing who um, you know, know what it's like you know, with the with, you know the, the big ground, you know the big crowd. Yeah, correct. So I, I um I had a lot of belief in the squad, and it was like there was a lot of excitement that we're gonna like we're going into the grand final. There wasn't like a doubt, you know, it wasn't that nervous doubt that will we or won't we in that <clears throat> that year for me. Um, it felt like yep, yeah, we are gonna play in the grand final, and then you know part way through the second quarter. You know, I think we went into half time, fifty points up, or something like that, in the prelims. So there was that, you know, and it was true. We are going into a grand final, and um, yeah, unfortunately, rupturing a, an Achilles is you're a no, you're no chance. You know, like you're you're done for six to nine months when you do something like that. So um, I I felt like I was I was missing out on a on a club premiership, and I I was a mess. You know, I didn't know what to do. Didn't know 
um, what to do, where to go. You know, there's nothing that can. It's just you're just counting. Oh, can this week just be over? <laughs> you know, you think because it's not like even try. You go, oh, maybe you can contribute to the club and what they do. I was in that much. I was that sore, and then I was straight into surgery and in hospital. So I didn't think I got out of the hospital till the Thursday. Um, so the training, there's no con- contributing there. The, the training had all happened. The prep had all been done. I think the the, um, the grand final phrase on the Thursday. I was still in hospital. You know, like so I, I, there was nothing I could really add to it. I was just going, oh, I'm out of this. What can what can this week just be over? You know. Um, and then they asked me to head over to, to the um, to the to Victoria and, and head to the game and be around the guys on the night before and and have a chat to them and try and add something there. And I was like, oh, I didn't know how I'd handle that. And um, it was good. It was good to get over there. Um, and I was, you know, I was up. I felt like I was upbeat. And um, Choco did this little thing where he, he cut up my preliminary final jumper and sewed it inside everyone else's jumper and tried to motivate them from that end. Apparently. That didn't work because they, <laughs> they got pommeled. But once I'd got to um, through that Friday of the team dinner and being around the guys, and um, I, I, I had it was a pretty hard Friday night. I just needed to get out of the hotel and I, I you know not get in everyone's face and be in the way for that, during that Saturday as they, they prepared for their game. So um, that was that was a, a pretty tough little stint. Um, I had Josh Marnie who didn't you know was played in '04 but hadn't. They didn't pick him for the 07 um, grand final. So we, we kind of spent the morning together and he, I was in the wheelchair, so he just wheeled me around. For the, uh, and once, you know, we added what we could in the rooms pre-game and we were down there at halftime. But, um, you know, the by halftime, it was, it was pretty well done and dusted and it was a pretty heartbreaking um, to sit and watch that that game and that result because I knew that they were far better than what they showed and you know add salt to the wounds. They my tickets that they gave me were right in the row behind the Geelong cheer squad. I mean, how bad is that for a spot to sit? <laughs> in oh, a, that's the in worst. A, in, a, in a premiership game, but uh, it was you know it was it was it is what it is. It was what it was. Um, it was you know extremely disappointing. Um, the only thing I can sort of look back and laugh about on that was that thank God my name wasn't on the team sheet for that one. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it was it really did it did sort of burn the guys involved in that, um, and that that they had a lot of that lingered on not just training field, you know, in the seasons after that there was it was there was a lot to overcome from that, and um, you know it's great to see that you know it took a number of years. That's, I think it was 2014 they played in the prelim, but you know when. When Kenny came back in, that you know that length of time in between that there was a, it was a really tough stint for the footy for the footy club in that in that bracket, and um, you know that it is now sort of thank goodness it's in the past and it's a fresh group and a new excited group that are sort of tackling and taking on that sort of Port Adelaide heritage and breeding sort of building on that again. Yeah, and and this is one thing I have been excited and interested to ask you we've established you didn't play in this game but 2007 grand final is the darkest day in Port Adelaide history I mean I know Geelong was an incredible side but you you were a good side as well and you'd beaten Geelong a few weeks prior at Cardinia Park but the biggest losing margin in grand final history 119 points and I mean I've watched the the whole game many times and everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong for Port Adelaide that day I know you've already 
mention it a little bit, but what sort of an impact did that loss have on the club? And do you, like, what was the aftermath of that game? What were the change rooms like after the game? And just the lead up to the preseason, how did that performance affect the club and the players? Because it's not really something that a lot of Port Adelaide people speak about that much. It a perfect one. Shannon Burns takes the mark. Good running from Chapman. Pounding down again. Nathan Ablett bolts to the goal square. And that's the target. Mooney as well. It's all set up for Cam. He can let it go. He takes it. First drive to the Cats. Could be the most one-sided grand final in history. And Geelong have got it. Milburn, Mackey just controlling this game with contemptuous ease. Chance to kick another one. And extend the lead to 90 points. This Geelong brick wall, the extra man across half back. We've just seen it time and time again, haven't we? Cats have kicked 5-2 to nothing in the last quarter. The crowd just posted at 97,302. And Andrew Mackey can join the veritable orgy of Geelong goal kickers. He drives through another. The Cats are in heaven. And there it is. It's the Cats. They've come so close so many times in the last 44 years. But the torture is finally over. Geelong are the Premiers for 2007. Yeah, it's not a, um, you know, the rooms are like a morgue, really. People are absolutely deflated and upset, but in shock as well. And family come down and you feel like you've let everyone down and you let yourself down. And um, there's that big, a hell of a lot of emptiness about it. And um, and so, you know, very much a contrast to the rooms after a win where there's thousands of people in there all excited about whatever and you know in in the room there a lot of disappointed um soul searching that starts and um the occasional finger pointing as to who's not up to scratch and why where the wheels fell off and um and that that does gar you know there, there was probably a few stinky things that happened in the next few years with you know guys whether getting delisted or getting traded and you know all that sort of stuff um that i'm sure people you know because it's it's football let's be honest like it's a lot of people regret regret what what they'll they say or write and things like that in the years after that but it did have a a fair impact you know it was we if you look at the club of that in those following couple of years you you lose uh, you know whether it means anything to anyone but you lose a, a Nike and then take on a Reebok and you lose your major Vodafone and you take on other lesser sponsors and then you the management of the club struggling and going into the into the red and then you've got um, you know coaching issues with who's going to who's going to take on after you know Choco gets moved out and Maddie gets the coach but runs the club on a skeleton staff and so there's a lot of things that happen that um you know, like you know, putting Matty Primus in as coach, but he's not a new coach, not well supported in from a football perspective or financial perspective as well to run the club. So there was a lot of 
a lot of things that happened in those next three, four, five years that um, that uh, was a massive shake up and things people, you know, people that were there through the whole time will, will understand that that, that um, what happened. But um, it was it was a quite a um, uh, I guess a sporadic underperforming um, sort of club of not knowing what was going to happen next and you know uh, people were put in place and things ch- gradually changed and you know you see a, a, a significant lift in the performance and the expectation was was back up there and um yeah it was as you say not not spoken of often um you just have to look at the history books to say look they were smashed in the years after there was a lot happening on and off field that need to change to get them back to where they deserve to be and um that stuff doesn't doesn't happen overnight it does take time and um i think you know the what's what's set in place now hopefully the lessons of, of the past have been learned and um and we have a regularly uh, competitive exciting team to watch for the last you know seven or eight years in, in, since since that turn has has happened and um and uh you know it's unfortunate for the guys that were involved in that and it got a little bit burnt out through that period um you know they 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 took the hit for everyone i guess unfortunately so that 2008 to 2012 period you were down the bottom end of the ladder for most of those years crowds for games were, were pretty low and financially the club wasn't that strong questions were being asked about the club's longevity in the afl did that 119 point loss in the grand final actually have a lot to do with that? I don't think the 119 point had a. I mean that that had a lot to do with maybe the the on-field questioning and things like that. But you know when I say all the stars need to align to win a premiership, well, to, for all that to happen, to you know trouble in the coaching staff ranks, to playing ranks, to sponsorship, to um, crowd numbers, you know that that the other the stars aligned in the wrong way for, for, for that sort of stuff and I don't know if that was actually you know when they say questioning Port Adelaide in the AFL I don't think that's ever um, whether that was true or not I, I was always you know it's a strong club of great supporters with proud history it was it, it was going to turn it was never staying that way it was a short stint in a hundred and however many year history that you know that that is you know it's part of the history. It's not a proud part of it, but it's a it is part of the foundation of what happened that will make the team and the club stronger in the future. And and um and they 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 will be in the AFL and continue in the AFL because of they they will because of their history. You know the club isn't the best funded. It hasn't got the big huge cash sponsorships and the money flowing through like the big Victorian clubs and some of the other interstate clubs but it performs above its ability or its, uh, its funding or its, uh, it, it, it over, outperforms whether you look at the medical staff or the coaching ranks or what the, the amount of staff and how they uh, for the upstairs guys that do the backroom staff they, they absolutely um, overperform from that perspective and, um, and that that's just part of that history and tradition and expectation. And uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think that um, that little downhill slide from the grand final. Yes, it was part of it, but it wasn't the only thing that that um, that, that meant that the club was going to struggle for a number of years. 
Yeah, fair call. The next season, 2008, you returned midway through the season, but you only managed the five games, and, and that ended up being your final season. And, and as we are about to close up now, I'd, I'd just like to, to ask, when was it you knew it was all over for you? And when a professional athlete knows it's time uh, to move on from the game, how do you handle that emotion? Is it disappointment, sadness? Is it relief? How did you figure that out? Yeah, I look. I thought I kind of knew. I was, you know, the club said that there was a point through that 2008 where they went. Actually, you know, I, I had a heap of knee surgery on the right side, and then I, I um, ruptured my left Achilles. So, um, and they went, look, 2007 you had a great year. We've and you've been this year's not fantastic, but let's think about signing you up for next year and give you one more and see if we can, you know, get you back to that 2007 form, where, you know, and I was like, okay, that sounds sounds great. And, but when you've already had multiple surgeries on your right knee and you don't really have your left Achilles, um, I just could not get going. And I was playing for the Magpies and I wasn't moving fantastically. I tried, you know, the rehab was going along. Um, the club then hit a hurdle where they're not winning games at the early 2008 and so the idea of um, giving you half a year in the Magpies just to get going I sort of got pushed into the AFL team um, prematurely I would say and other than the first game back every other game after that I was a liability in there like I, I just couldn't perform I couldn't do what I needed to do players that would um, I'd usually just dominate with either speed or endurance or strength I just didn't have it and I was second to the footy, and I just—it I, I was accumulation of games where I just went, I just can't do this anymore. And um, then I'd go to the SANFL, and I couldn't do what I wanted to do there. Um, and uh, so the, it became pretty obvious as the, the ball games accumulated, I, I just wasn't coping, and I just didn't think I had it in me to get back to where I needed to be, um, which is really devastating. You know, like you, 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 there was a, a time there where I've. I would usually relish being one out in the goal square or inside 50 and then I knew that I was getting dragged back there because I just couldn't and it was a, I was a liability and that was hard to come to terms with and uh, you know they were going to put me into a, a showdown game and you know try and revive the showdown and get me in and see if we can get an emotional response but all this sort of stuff and I went into a competitive drill there uh, had my knee MRI'd everything was looking good let's sign you on and I went to sidestep and my knee gave way and that was I was just at that point I went no nah, I'm done and um, and that was that was my last main training session where I just knew that I you know I went went I couldn't do what I needed to do my, I, you know, my knee was failed I'd hopping around on my left and um, that was me, um, done and dusted by the middle of um, 2008 and um, left with a lot of questions as to what your identity is going to be in the future when you're not playing football. And that, as, as we mentioned earlier, is a extremely tough little transition that everyone has to go through. I'm thankful that I had good family, good support around me and a, a bit of a career to step towards. So, yeah. And Michael, just as we are now about to close up, I always finish off my interviews asking my guests three last questions and I always ask them in one sentence. In your entire career in the SANFL and the AFL, who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? Oh, that's a hard one, mate. <laughs> yeah, they, I, that's, I, that's what they always say. I, uh, if I go the best, player 
look, I would say I'd probably sit Gavin Wanganine just above Treaders on, on that side of things. If I'm going for my best coach, I would say um, Mark Williams just over John Cale. You know, I had Steve Williams and Greg Phillips as coaches as well, but Mark Williams just for his professionalism and attention to detail and things like that was just brilliant. Opposition player. I got to stand some stars. Like I had to stand Voss and Rashudo and Cousins and Judd and you know, even McLeod, Jarman. I don't know. Jeepers. I, I, to, to split the opposition, they are, like there's so many exceptional guy. I think maybe I'd have to say maybe Vossi was was I don't know. I guess to say who was better out of those and who's harder to stand. Ben Cousins' running capacity and Jarman for his one touch. And Rashudo and Voss for their just they're just kegs on legs that can run and strong and just influence a game. So I, I don't know on the opposition. There's just so many um, absolute guns in the AFL that uh, I have a lot of respect for and I just uh, I, I, they, you know where I'd be leading into the games not sleeping knowing that these guys were coming up but that was what made you perform better and just you try to lift to that level so yeah I'm not sure how I'd go with the, the hardest opposition there's just so many great players in the AFL that I was lucky to, to line up against but even Nathan Buckley I just stand a number of times you know like Robert Harvey chasing that guy around another keg on legs you know I don't know there was just so many stars in there that um, yeah I was really lucky just to have a chance to sort of stand on the over with them I think yeah no we that, that question uh, is often very very hard one to answer so that's totally fine to have multiple Michael I just want to say thank you very much for, for taking the time to come on the podcast today I, I really appreciate it not a problem, mate. I appreciate the chat and thanks for giving me a chance to rehash a few memories and, and all that sort of stuff. But few and far between when you get to do that. But uh, no, I appreciate the time too. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.